I want you to write GarySmalley.com. Just write that somewhere on your message notes. GarySmalley, S-M-A-L-L-E-Y.com. Because last night, just to be reminded what a special study that you're going to receive this morning, I went online just to look up this guy that some of you were here a few weeks ago when we had our Love Passionate Conference, and Joe White and Gary Smalley and their pastor, Pastor Ted, were here for a Saturday morning. And uh, after the first session, Joe White taught the first session. Uh, we were walking through the foyer there, right outside the, uh, the conference room, and I had had the privilege to pick up Joe White and Gary Smalley and Ted at the Wildwood Hotel down here at 7 o'clock that morning. And Joe White and I have been good friends for 22, 23 years. Uh, all together, my three sons, we counted up, have spent 22 years at Canicut. First they went as campers, then they went as counselors, then they were program directors. And two of my sons actually serve program directors with Joe White. So uh, Joe White loves me. And he loves me through my sons. Now, whenever I would be down there, we'd spend 10, 15 minutes together. But Joe White knows me through my three sons over a period of about 16, 17 years. So the moment I walk in the hotel, Joe White, and he's just this kind of guy, if he even hardly knows you, he acts like you're his best friend. But I mean, he just hugs me and, oh, Phil, Hunter, Phil, Hunter, Phil, Hunter. And he was surprised that Gary Small and I had never met yet. But all the way here, all Joe White could do, and Joe's an affirmer, is tell Gary what an incredible privilege today it was for him to know me. And uh, so the rest of the day, just as the providence of God was, Gary and I would keep running into each other, and Gary's 71. Now, the reason why I say put down his address, I want you to go on the web today and just read his bio. I mean, he's had 16 best-selling books, gold medallion books. Uh, he's been on Oprah and every talk show. Johnny Carson, I mean, he's spoken. You know, used to have a TV program. And he has all of these, you know, attributes of one of the greatest communicators on relationships in the world. And uh, so, as I like to do, I learned this when I was in my young 20s. When I'm with older men or women that are in the faith and they've walked faithfully in the Lord, I always ask them this question. What's the three or four greatest things God has taught you in your entire life? I want to know that. Because, see, I want to I get the gold. And we were right outside the conference room, and I popped the question. I said, Gary, we were talking, and I said, Gary, in your 71 years, you've got a decade on me. What are the three or four greatest things that God has ever taught you? Now, God's taught him hundreds of things that he's written in all these books and been on all these shows. I want the best three or four amazingly, and it may have just been old age and he just couldn't remember, he said, well, no one's ever asked me that before. So I don't know what the three or four greatest things, but I can tell you what I do every day. There are four things that I do every day. Now I want you to think about your life. You may be here and you just came to Jesus this last week. So you're still trying to sort out what you're going to do every day. And some of you have known Christ for one year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30, 40 years. What are the things that you do every day if I ask you that question? And that's what, if you look down there at your message notes, see, that's for you. If I ask you that question today, because by the way, this week when I would tell my men, in the discipleship groups we were going to do this, they'd say, can you tell us now? And even one man, we have a lot of people right now, the last month, you know, August 4th school, everybody has to fly off one more time, or for some of them it's four or five times. 
But they say, would you tell me? I just got to know. I'll, I'll, get, I'll get the tape, but tell me. Well, I asked them. I said, well, what are the three or four? And they say, I've never thought of that. So I want you to think. I'm going to give you two or three minutes right now. I want you to write down there. This is just for you. What are the three or four most important things God has taught me? Go to writing. I'll be quiet. And once you get through, yeah, look up at me and I'll know. I'm ready to go. But you keep writing. This is very important. Most of us are finished. Others are writing a book. That's good. That's good. You can continue that. Now, the reason why I wanted you to do that, I want you to compare what the greatest things, and you see where I'm going, you're tracking with me, where you are, what God's taught you, and what God's taught Gary Smalley. And even relate what you put down to as I take us through this study. See, the four greatest things that God has taught me is every day I must humble myself before God and submit my life to His authority. That is His Word. Because His Word is perfect. And Psalm 19:7 says that when I submit my life to God's Word, His authority, I'm revived. The Bible also says when you don't submit your life to God's Word, you will destruct. Now, isn't that a good reason to every day say, I humble myself and I submit my life to your authority because it's perfect, it's flawless, it thoroughly equips me, and when I live in it, I'm going to live in victory and I'm going to thrive. I'm going to be like the trees out there. On Thursday, Joe, we're walking out and Joe says, look at these Bartlett pear trees right outside my office. The, the leaves were all weathering. I mean, they had the sad face on. And what do we call that because of the hot weather? We say trees are what? Distressed. That's actually the horticulture word for it. They're distressed. Isn't that what life does to us? It distresses us. We call it stressed out. Well, those trees were stressed out. If you've looked around your subdivision, there have been trees that are stressed out and all the leaves have already fallen. They look dead. So from Friday morning, 8.30, I had a hose until 4.30 I left. I was soaking every one of those trees. And then praise the Lord, it helped. It rained twice. But already, if you look at those trees, all except one have been totally revived. And the Bible says in Psalms 1, when you submit your life to the Word of God, that you're like a tree that the leaf never loses its color green. That's the first reason why every day I humble myself, submit my life to God. Second, I surrender my life to His presence. I realized that God came into my life by His Holy Spirit, not to just come in, but to take over. He's the one Lord God. And His will for my life, Ephesians 5, 17, 18, is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So every day I say, Lord, I'm submitted to Your authority and I'm surrendered to Your presence. I have no rights. If you're angry this morning, it's because you still think you have rights. A dead man or a dead woman has no rights. Amen? See, that's why I must surrender. Now, you're going to see this is one of Gary's key thoughts. In fact, I'd never heard anyone say it like he did. When he said it, I said, Gary, that's good. But you'll see, I tie that in. That's why I must be surrendered to his presence, or I can't do one of the things that Gary said. Third, I settle the issue. Lord, I'm yours today. Come hell, come high water, come temptation, come difficulty, come whatever, come success. I'm yours, Lord. I'm going to stay fixed on you. I may get my eyes off of you for a moment, but I want to be like a basketball. I want to bounce right back. I want to stay on you. And last, I know every day he has commissioned me. He loves people to do what? Share Jesus. And I also know that Philemon verse 6 says, I pray that you'd be active in sharing your faith. Active. Not once a week, not every other day, not once a month, not when I really get fired up, active. So that's daily. 
that's ready any time to share Jesus. That it, what does Philemon 6 say? I pray that you be active in sharing your faith so that you who are sharing might come to know every good thing I have in Christ. You know why I worry? When I see a problem bigger than God. You know why I become anxious? When I see something that's greater than God. You know when I stay bitter? When I see the offense and feel the hurt greater than God. So I want to know everything I have in God so when temptation comes, I see God and I overcome. Now those are my four things. By the way, that's free because I'm going to tell you Gary Smalley's four things. By the way, after Gary Smalley told me his four things, I told him my four things and we put them together. Now, here we go. Number one. See, what are the three or four things, and actually it's four things that Gary Smalley does every day. You can just write that above that. Gary Smalley has committed at the age of 71 to do these four things every day. Number one, I think, write it down, humility every day. I think humility every day. Why? Because Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as we think, so we are. Now, sweet friends, whether you're sweet or not today, I give you the benefit of the doubt. Because of our sinfulness, if you don't purpose intentionally say each day, in other words, today you say, if God opens my eyes in the morning, I'm going to intentionally, purposefully think humility. You will not. You know why? because sinfulness and humility are opposites. Pride, what is pride? Independent, rebellious, no one's gonna tell me how to live my life, I'm gonna do it. That's just natural. You don't have to think anything to be independent and rebellious. Just wait till the next time you have a disagreement, you that are married with your spouse, or if you have teenagers with your teenagers, or even young adults. You will not have to think to be rebellious and independent. You will not have to think to say, I want to win this argument. I want to have the last word. You will not have to think to do that. That will be your natural propensity. That will be your natural tendency. So if you don't think from the moment you wake up, I humble myself before God. Philippians 2.5, let this attitude be in you that's in Christ. Humble yourself. If you don't think that, you will fall in the temptation to be proud. So as Gary said that to me, I said, that's good, buddy. That's my first thing, too. Let me ask you, do you get down on your knees when you do that? And he chuckled and he says, you know what? I've never thought of that. I'm thinking, huh? I said, humility Gary, what's the biblical position of humility? It's either down on our knees or it's prostrate, flat on our face. Next time you're in a disagreement with anyone in your family, just drop to your knees, just drop to your face and see that argument will end. You'll start laughing. You can't fight when you're in this humble position. Right? I'm just looking at a wrestling coach back there, Lafayette. You can't beat anyone if you just drop to your knees like this. You're in what? Submission. Did you know God created us that submission leads to life? And fighting leads to death. I said, Gary, start getting down on your knees, buddy. He said, I will. And we're going to correspond. The Lord just blessed us with a sweet fellowship all day long. In fact, we just kept running to each other. Even it was 1 o'clock, 1.30, and we were just cleaning up around here, and I walk out, and I just kept running into him. And we traded emails and telephone numbers. 
And that'll be the first thing I ask him the next time I talk to him, buddy, are you on your knees every day? Because see, that physical position of humility helps my mind and spirit to remember through the day, I have chosen humility today. Now, many of you love the Lord here, I know, with all your heart. And many of you know for at least 116 years, the last time I counted, I've been saying to all the husbands and all the wives that each day we get what? On our knees and we what? We pray together because without humility, you're not going to do any praying to God because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. But I would say, as far because I'm always spot checking, I'd say less than 10% of us are still doing that. And you know why we don't do that? Spell it for me. It's one word with five letters. P-R-I-D-E. And see, when you have a disappointment or disagreement or you've been hurt or you're upset with someone, you don't want to be humble, do you? Because to be humble means you can't hold grievances. You can't be bitter. You can't throw it up again. Uh, to be humble means you can't be selfish or self-centered. You've got to be a servant to be humble. Now there we don't say amen. We say what? Oh me. Now stay with me. Don't get mad. That's P-R-I-D-E. Some of you just turned me off just like that. Right? Come on, I love you. You love me. You're here to grow in the Lord, not just to have a church experience and go home unchanged. How many of you want to choose for every day for the rest of your life, you'll say, I choose to think to be humble? Raise your hand. We're having the invitation during the whole service today. Okay? That's good. Now, you that are married, look at your spouse and say, sweetie, I'll need encouragement to remember my commitment I just made because I practice being proud. Okay, go ahead, confess to each other. Say you need each other's help. I'm saying that to my wife back there. Now, right in that line, number one under Roman numeral one, here's how Gary applies it. See, he said, this is what I do, Phil. I start each day praying Matthew 5, 3. To the Lord acknowledging my dependence, my total dependence upon Him. And in that dependence then, I pray John 15, 5. Write that in and then I'll give you a little commentary on that. I start each day praying Matthew 5, 3 to the Lord, acknowledging my total dependence upon Him. And in that dependence then I pray John 15, 5. Now, to pray Matthew 5, 3, 5, we need to memorize it, don't we? Can anyone say Matthew 3, 5? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what that is, a couple of weeks ago, Phil was teaching on that, and he told us that that word poor in spirit is literally a beggar that's been disabled. And apart from someone having grace and mercy and giving him something, that beggar can't do anything for himself. And that's the concept that Jesus was teaching his disciples from the very beginning. You've got to see yourself as Jews, he was saying to them, totally impoverished in your sinfulness. Nothing good in you before a holy God. And see, when you see that, you see your need to think humility. Gary went on to say, you know, Phil, those years when Oprah was wanting me and Johnny Carson was wanting me and all these TV shows were wanting me and everywhere I would go, thousands of people would come and they'd line up and they'd want to buy my book and they'd want my autograph and people were telling me how wonderful I was. You know what? I started believing it. And I was doing all this ministry and I was so far away from God. And I was a celebrity more of Hollywood than of Jesus Christ. And God had to do some things in my life through suffering to bring me to say, listen, little boy, you're nothing. And I want you every day to acknowledge your total dependence upon me because you can do nothing to impress me. So he prays that, blessed are the poor in spirit, Father, 
and I am poor in spirit. And then John 15, 5 says, You are the vine, I am the branch. He that abideth in me, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And if I'm going to bring forth anything, Lord, it must be out of the power of your presence and strength. Okay, let's go to number two. Number two is I love God, and right above the word love, write the word honor. Because he uses the word honor, because honor is to value as what it means to love God and people above pleasure and things. See, I love God, and just write honor. He uses the word honor, but he's taking this from where the Bible says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But he says, for me, since we love orange juice and we love watermelon and we love puppies and we love Christmas and Thanksgiving, I use the word to love God means to honor him, to value him, to put him first in my life and people more than the two temptations I ever have to put above God and people, and that's pleasure and things. Now, if we don't humble ourselves, we're not going to be able to do number two, right? Are you tracking his, even his order? And there is an order to his four things. They're not just four single things. There's an order. I, I first think humbly. I next submit my life to God because he's the one Lord God. And I love him and I love people because when the law expert Ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in Matthew 22? Let's read that. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. See, right in number one under Roman numeral two, honor means to value. And then he said, I think the greatest verse in the Bible where it really tests, it really lets you see what you honor is Matthew 6, 21. And it says, where your treasure is, that is where your heart is. And he's put in where your treasure is, that is what you truly honor. And then he did something. I'm lost without steps. They took the steps out there. Then he had a couple. And he had a bunch of jewelry. It just looked like a bunch of gypsy beads that you'd get from New Orleans. And he, since Ryan and Catherine, you're right here, stand up. I want you, Ryan, to tell Catherine right now how much you honor her. And tell her how worth she is to you, how valuable she is. Just give a dollar number, how, how much she is worth. That was a good response, buddy. Did you hear? She said, you're priceless. He had a couple give up, get up and he gave these gypsy beads. They weren't worth 98 cents, you know, that you'd get for your five-year-old granddaughters. And they'd play with them. And he said, just imagine they're worth $10 million. You know, Ronnie and I have been married almost 40 years. And later at the end of that day, he had all the men come up and get a rose and go back and just tell the wife how he honored her. I, I tell my wife, 10, 20, 30, 40, we're the kind that every time we see each other, every time we leave, we, we verbalize, I love you. Every time we talk on the phone, if it's just for 10 seconds, I love you. So we, we do that well. And I know some of you, you grew up in homes and your parents didn't verbalize that, so it's like your tongue's thick, you don't know how to say that. You say, well, I just show it. Well, that's good to show it. You should show it, but you need to say it too. But I want you to know, even after all these years, when I got my rose and we were sitting right back there in the middle and I, when I took it to Ronnie and I said, I want you to know because the man, when he got up with the gypsy bees, he said to his wife, you are worth $10 million. 
you gave a much better response. You said, you're priceless. And when I told my wife that, that she was worth, I used the $10 zillion, because I know she can't comprehend zillion. I can't. And I was smarter in math than she was, so I know she can't comprehend 10 zillion. You know what she did? She acted like she did the first time when she was 18 and I told her I loved her. Women, you should have said amen right there. Praise the Lord and listen, husband. Your wife never gets over you husband telling her that she's priceless. Amen? So if you have trouble with that, humble yourself first. And you say, well, pastor, you don't know what my wife's done. That's why you need to humble yourself. So you can do number three. And we'll go to number three right now. In my younger days, I'd just jump on and off of there. See, right in, we got, we got the number one under Roman two. So let's go to Roman numeral three. Now, this is the sentence, sweeties. I, go ahead and put an asterisk by number three. I had never heard this insight said this way, and I've incorporated it even as I do my four. I now pray this sentence. In my, in my quiet time with the Lord every day. I love this statement. Okay, write it down. I keep my anger level as low as possible and my forgiveness level as high as possible. And put a star by that one. I keep my anger level as low as possible and my forgiveness level as high as possible. In 1980, a mentor of Gary Smalley and myself was Dr. David Mace. Dr. David Mace and Vera Mace, his wife, he would always put his wife's name on his books even though he would write them, was the greatest writer in the Christian community. He had his PhD medically, spiritually, and psychologistly. Three PhDs, the only man I've ever known in my life or woman that had three earned PhD degrees. And Dr. David Mace, he was recognized as the world as the expert. And he came out in 1979, 1980 and said, folks, listen to me. I've discovered the greatest insight I ever have. And all those books you bought, I thank you, but I haven't told you the real truth. Well, when I saw a video on that, my ears, I was about 28, 29 years old, Man, they went up. I wanted to hear the greatest one insight that Dr. Mace had ever learned. And here it was. And I've told you that have been here for a while. Hopefully you'll remember this. There's only three reasons we get angry. And they are hurt, fear, and frustration. And then he took, and Gary and I talked about this. He said, yep, I learned this from Dr. Mace too. See, Ephesians 4, 26, 27 says, in your anger. See, you're going to get angry every day unless you're sick and spend the day in your bedroom and don't see anyone. You're going to get angry because the world's filled with people that hurt you, frustrate you, and even cause you to be afraid. So it says, when you get angry, God said, I know you're going to get angry. Just do this. Don't live with it. And the word picture there is do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Resolve it. The only way I can resolve it, though, is i got to think humbly. i got to be humble or I'll embrace that hurt. I'll embrace that frustration. I'll hang on to it instead of give it to God. Pride can't resolve anger. Now, if you hang on to your anger, look what you do. You give the devil a foothold. Now, when the devil has a foothold, you know how much power you have over temptation? None. Itsy-bitsy none. That's why some of you that are angry, you also have secret addictions. You know what a foothold is. I had an older brother. I had two younger brothers. When we'd run through the house chasing each other when mom and dad weren't there, the big brother, if he could get to the door, 
the little brother would shut the door to try to lock it, but the big brother would just stick his old foot right in that door. And big brother has a foothold, and what does big brother do? Ha, 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 I have you. You're dead meat. See, memorize this statement. I keep my anger level low. That is, you do not tolerate in your life to stay angry. Now, you've got to think humbly or you can't do this. Pride can't do this. Pride hangs on to its violation. And then I start each day and say, I'm going to keep forgiveness high today. So the moment I'm frustrated and my old flesh starts to say, I want to be angry here, you're in the battle. And you're in the battle that you know whose you are. You're the Lord. You're in a battle. You've already submitted your life to the authority of God. You're in a battle. You're surrendered to his presence. You're in a battle that his authority is your life, not your own. And so, Lord, you tell me, you understand I'm angry, but I'm not going to live with this today. I'm not going to waste my life in this unresolved anger and bitterness. See, go on to that next scripture. It says... Just write it in, number one. This is why i got to get rid of my anger. Anger blocks relationships with God and others. That's what you put in that number one under Roman numeral three. Anger, see, blocks relationships with God and others. Now, sweeties, just look at me after you write that down. See, a lot of us know each other real well because we trust each other. And I often say, everyone in this room has more hurts, more heartaches, more offenses, more scars than any of us could imagine. And the easiest thing to do is stay angry at those that have hurt you. Because you think somehow if you forgave them, it would lessen the violation against you. Wrong. When God says vengeance is His, He's a holy God. He's an omniscient God. He knows everything that anyone has done wrong. And the reason why he says vengeance is his instead of ours is he is the God that says, I will take care of it. You don't have to get even. God says, I will deal with that. You've got to get that through your soul. How can you get that through your soul? Humble yourself. Humble yourself before God. And when you see your poverty before God, He'll want you just to major on your sin, not anyone else's sin against you. And then you can be a lover. You can be a forgiver. And you can be free. The men all know this. Bitterness is like drinking poison and thinking it hurts the other person. See, bitterness, that's a good one to write down. I've got it written down in my Bible. And I didn't think of that. Years ago, a man thought of that on a Wednesday morning. And as soon as he said it, because we were all talking about the struggle of bitterness we'd had with different people. And this man says, well, you know, I heard once that bitterness is like drinking poison and thinking it hurts the other guy. And we said, that's good. Write that down. And we write those kinds of things down in our Bible. See, don't think... For you to forgive and trust God is to lessen the offense. It's just that bitterness will eat you up. See, look at Ephesians 4, 29 to 32. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And that's what happens when we hang on to anger. It comes out of our heart. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of it. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. 
forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. You know, the reason why I didn't ask you to raise your hand like I did on Roman number one, I'm going to start thinking humbly every day. And I'm going to honor God and people above pleasure and things. Is I don't want it just to be a hand thing. And number two is hard, isn't it? That I'm going to put God first. Because we live in West County where the God is get all you can and can all you get and set on the can and shoot the first one that nears the can. Right? I remember when we moved from Jeff City and, and Philip was, uh, was uh, 15 or 16 and so Josh was a ninth grader, 14, and little Matt was six years old. And the greatest new challenge we had moving from Jeff City, and it's the capital of our state, to move into West County was the God of things. My boys came home every day unhappy suddenly in life because they didn't have all the things that their new friends had. And there's nothing wrong. Hear me loud and clear. There's nothing wrong with things. I enjoy things. I have a pretty tie on, don't I? I have a nice white shirt on. It's a very expensive white shirt. I have a nice suit pants on. I enjoy things. But God gives me things to be a faithful steward of those things. And not love things, just enjoy things. And use things to bless other people's lives. Until you humble yourself, though, you'll never be able to let God be the Lord of your things. And if you really think things is where it's at, just read Ecclesiastes chapter 2. There was a man in there, many think he's... King Solomon, he had everything under the sun, but his life was empty. See, I can't do number three unless I humble myself and unless I live the Spirit-filled life. So whatever hurts me, whatever frustrates me, whatever causes me fear, I'm able to say, Lord, I cast all my cares on you and I thank you for being my healer. And then number four. This is one I wouldn't have thought of. But I said, Gary, that's good, buddy. Number four is rejoice. I rejoice in my suffering. Put it in there, Justin. I rejoice in my suffering. If you can see this 71-year-old man, he said, you know, I have finally come to the place in my life that when I'm going through great difficulty and great pain, I go, Yay, God! And when he did that, I laughed too. Just think of that. I mean, something great difficult comes in your life and you go, Yay, God! And sure enough, that very afternoon, something happened in my life very difficult. And for the first few moments, I was fuming. I was getting stressed. And suddenly the Spirit of God brought Gary's face. Yay, God! And I just put my hands up and said, Yay, God! And I've been doing that. This last week, difficult things would come in my life. What? And you know how, for that moment, your old flesh doesn't like that? And then I just go, Yay, God! Now, let's look what the Scripture says. Is that just being crazy? No. Look what Romans 5, 1, 5 says. Therefore, since we have been justified... By the way, can you see that font the way in that color? Is that hard to see? Hard to see? Can you see it from back there? Do your hand like this if you can see it good. Because I'll change it in second service if you can't see it good. Because the way that color is, I didn't know if you could see it good. It's kind of light on green. 
All right, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, see, that's salvation right there. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's being born again. Most of us have been born again. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice. Okay, we rejoice that we got saved, but not only that rejoicing, but look here. We rejoice in our sufferings. Now remember what their sufferings were. They were being persecuted. They were being scourged. They were being imprisoned. They were being hunted down because the Roman emperor didn't want anyone saying that Jesus was the Lord. They wanted to be Lord. So when they're talking sufferings, they're talking sufferings. They're talking life and being martyred for Christ. But it says, we also rejoice in our sufferings. Look why. Because we know that the suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. You know what that's saying? Is you don't grow up I don't grow up to look more like Jesus without suffering. I love success. I love the good blessings of God. I love the mountains. But I can tell you in my life, I've not learned anything in success. I have not learned anything. I'm speaking of the Lord God, His ways. In the mountaintops of my life. I enjoy them. I praise God for every one of them. But I learn in my tears. I learn in my trials. I learn when everything in me hurts so bad that I don't even want to live anymore. Because in that state, my humility is helped. My neediness for God is helped. And see, because God is a holy God and He meets us at the level of our desire, pride doesn't have much desire for God. Pride's doing pretty good. But when you're broken and bankrupt, and humble before God, God meets you at the level of your need. God meets you at the level of your desire. And that's when God teaches you of Himself. A lot of you are nodding your head with me. Because you know that's where you learn of God. Man, I hate suffering, don't you? But I love what God teaches me in it. And that's why Gary says... Yay, God, because I'm going to learn of you again. Chiggers, I know some of you right now are at the verge of tears because you're in great suffering. And you say, when? The Scripture says joy comes in the morning this sure has been a long night. Years ago, I was preaching a revival at Hannibal LaGrange. It's now university, then it was college. And I was with the president. And we went out to lunch. And then he took me, if, if you've been in Hannibal, where you go up there on that high, high cliff and you see the river it's a glorious view and and he took me up there and he he just parked his car and at the time I was about Phillips age I was probably 35 36 and here's a 64 or five year man and he says Phil I need to tell you something because I need you to pray for me because I'm having a hard time he said, I have an 18-year-old daughter that's run away with a guy, and right now we don't even know where she is. We don't even know if she's dead or alive. 
and it's killing me. And my wife's just about had a nervous breakdown over it. She can't sleep. She can't eat. She doesn't want to do anything but cry. She's in depression. And I had presented a message that when I was 33, I was in a serious car wreck and I lost my health. And I couldn't work. And we just moved from Oregon to Missouri and Ronnie was pregnant at that time. We couldn't even find a place to live. And we were living in this apartment where the one lady that lived over us loved rock and roll and the one underneath us loved country and they both loved it loud and late at night. And I had shared how I just became depressed. I couldn't even say anything without just weeping. And, and just when you're depressed, you don't make any sense. And I had shared that one day I just said to Ronnie, coming to Missouri was the worst decision we've ever made in our life. And she looked at me and knew I didn't need empathy. I needed truth and I needed God to move in my life. And she said, why don't you go back to bed and listen to some of those great messages that you're always preaching on that we always have victory in Jesus. And it was like a slap in the face and a glass of cold water. And I said, well, I'll just do that then. And I went in and got in bed and pulled the covers over my head and just wept like a baby because I realized I was in a bad shape. Here I was called to Missouri to preach all over the state and I was no good for nothing. And I said, God, you got to move in my life. I can't see you anymore. I knew I was sinking in a black hole. And the Spirit of God led me to just start reading Proverbs. And I started reading Proverbs, and I got to Proverbs 3. A lot of you know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with... But you know why you don't trust the Lord with all your heart? Because you don't know Proverbs 3, 26 yet. And I kept reading. I didn't know it either. But I got to Proverbs 3.26, and you know what 3.26 says? It says, the Lord is thy confidence. Then I was still using King James Version. The Lord is thy confidence, and your feet will not be shaken. And he said, stay there. Don't read on. Stay there. You don't know me, little boy, as your confidence. You preach about me being your confidence, but you don't know me as your confidence. Because look at you, you're a mess now because I've allowed your blessings to be taken away of you and you now don't have praise for me. You have pity party. And you're not going out in this state till you know me as my confidence. And if I never get you over this neck ache and backache, if I never get you over your illness, if I never get you change your circumstances, will you praise me as your confidence? And over the next few days, God brought me to a new humility. God brought me to a new level where I said, Lord, if nothing changes in my life because you are unchangeable, I praise you, you're my confidence. And that president said, I want to have God as my confidence like that. I said, well, buddy, the way you have God as your confidence is you got to surrender everything to him. See, just right in there, we're out of time. Roman numeral 4.1, I do not become more like Jesus without suffering. But i got to understand that every suffering is like an oyster with a pearl. Until I become humble in my life and say, God, I praise you for this. I don't understand it, but I'm going to trust that you're going to conform me more to Jesus. You'll stay in despair instead of walk in victory. I want to invite you today. We don't have music because I can't go over there and play but, but if you want to just come forward or if you want to kneel where your chair is, you know, the Bible says we deceive ourselves if we just hear his word, but we don't do it. I want to invite us to pray, to commit these ways in our life every day. So you want to just kneel with me, and if your knees are bad, you just kneel in your heart. Just kneel with me.
And I'm going to lead us in the prayer. You can even keep your eyes open and just look at your message notes. Because I'm just going to pray a prayer. Lord, and I'm praying right now, Father God, out of your grace and goodness in my life, I humble myself before you. And I want to do these four things every day. Number one, Lord, I, I want to thank humility every day. And I'm going to learn that verse, Matthew 5, 3. So I can just say, Lord, I'm poor in spirit before you today. And I'm totally dependent upon you. Because, Father, I need to be lifted. And you said you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. And, Father, you created me for you, not things, not pleasure. I'll enjoy pleasure, and I enjoy things. I'm grateful for it, Father. But I'm going to put you first in my life. Your first commandment was, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And I've had gods before you my whole life and wondered why you haven't done anything in my life. And so, Lord, I honor you first. And I honor people. I'm going to be a different man, a different woman, a different child at home because I'm going to honor those that I live with. And then, Father, I know every day I'm going to be frustrated. There's a possibility I'll be hurt. I'll be offended, but, but I'm going to keep my anger level low because I'm going to stay humble before you and I'm going to give those hurts and frustrations and fears to you. And I'm going to trust you to deal with the, the folks that hurt me. I don't have to, and I praise you for that. And then, Lord, the next time I go through difficulty, I'm going to say, Yay, God, because you are in charge of everything. And, Lord, I'm going to trust you to use my difficulty so I can become more like Jesus. And, Lord, I want to live with you my confidence, not my blessings. Father, we just praise you for your working in our lives today. That we can live each day to your honor, to your glory. And, Lord, so those of us that have children, as they watch our lives, they'll want to have a life, want to have a marriage that is worth repeating because they see it in us. And Lord, I know as I say that, a lot of us, we have a lot of regrets. We wish we'd have heard this message 30, 40, 50 years ago. But Father, we praise you. You're the God of new beginnings. And we're hearing it today. And so I just want to encourage every one of you, don't let the enemy, he's the liar, speak to you and say, you've already blown it. Well, let me tell you, God's the Redeemer. And this is the first day of the rest of your life. And you start living these truths, and I want you to know your children are going to take note. And the Holy Spirit's going to work in their lives. And Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Help each other up.